Hello, welcome back to another episode of Pining for Pixels. I'm your host, Red Rooster, and today's episode is the awaited video game book club episode on Final Fantasy VII Remake, Part 1. The first part of this remake is I'm a little over halfway through it, and I have some thoughts so far, and uh, we will conclude this at the last week of February, just before the release of the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, but... Yeah, we'll get into that in a moment. Let's talk about the news, and we do certainly have some big news today. Uh, all right, so first and foremost, so last week Sony uh, did their State of Play presentation and announced some of the games that are coming up for PlayStation 5 later this year, a couple PSVR 2 titles as well. Um, now, notably, there was uh, not much in the way of first-party stuff, so it seems like they still have a pretty bank blank slate there. However, that said... This was certainly a better state of play than we've seen in the last couple times. Uh, there was definitely some interesting stuff here, since some pretty big announcements as well. So there's before we get on with the rest of the news, uh, I'll just quickly go over some of the games that were announced and for some of the ones that I'm I was more interested in. Uh, so this is not in any and not in specific order. I'm just kind of going through a list here that I'm looking off of a website. But number one. I think one of the big ones, one of their last trailers they showed was for Death Stranding 2. It was, uh, I mean, we've already seen a teaser trailer for this before, uh, and they had at the time called it DS2, but now this time was given this full proper title, Death Stranding 2 on the Beach. That's the full title of the game, and uh, it's not coming till 2025, but they did have a pretty extensive trailer, and it looked suitably bizarre as uh, only a kojima game could uh if you remember the early trailers for the original death stranding this is definitely in the same vein as that in terms of the weirdness but it definitely looks interesting if you're a fan of the original most likely you're going to be interested to see where they go with this one uh yeah it looked really it looked really strange but we, we do see norman Reedus's character return um and yeah there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on here like there was this Really weird looking dude who kind of looked like uh, Brandon Lee from The Crow <laughs> as the villain, but uh, at least that's what I assume. But really, to speculate what this story is and what's going on, your guess would be as good as mine. So check it out. It, it certainly looks cool, but it's a way it weighs off. So you know, I'm just kind of packing that in the back of my mind, kind of with like Grand Theft Auto Six. Like, okay, I'm not going to see this for a very long time, but at some point we'll see it. Uh, it looks cool. All right, and speaking of uh, Kojima, uh, Hideo Kojima did make an appearance to announce that he's making a new action espionage game, I guess. Uh, so they, Herman Hulst of PlayStation was there to announce that uh, that he, you know Kojima w was making this new game, obviously uh, very much in line with what Metal Gear Solid was because they said they wanted to see him get back to doing something like that. But... The way they describe it is that it's a new IP for PlayStation and it's an action espionage game. Um, but the big thing he focused on, this is going to blur the line between video games and film. And it's going to be very strange. So it sounds very similar to what they had talked about with Xbox, with their, their OD projects. So it sounds like more in, in vein of that, of having some sort of experimentation. And then... As part of the announcement, the camera pulls out of the studio that they're filming it in and then pulls out to show that they are at the Columbia Soundstage and, uh, you know, Columbia Pictures, I should say, uh, to really further sort of the point that this is 
going to be something different. So I don't even know if this is even going to be a full-on game, but we'll see. Uh, that's obviously going to be much further off, and a lot of people are speculating that's going to be a PlayStation 6 game. So we will wait and see. Seems way too early to be talking about that kind of thing now, but anyway, whatever. It's coming in the f- in some form of future. <laughs> Who knows what we'll even have by then, right? So, all right. Uh, then they they also did a deep dive on the upcoming game Rise of the Ronin, which is coming out March twenty second for PS five, which is coming from Team Ninja. I'm already sold on the game. It looks great. Uh, it looks very similar to, to me. Kind of looks like a combination of Sekiro and. Um, uh, Ghost of Tsushima. So it kind of looks like some sort of combination of the two. Um, but hey, that's coming up pretty soon. So interested to see w- what what uh, comes of that one. Definitely hits all the right notes for me anyway. Uh, we saw an announcement, something that was rumored, which was the uh, remaster or remake, I should say, of Until Dawn uh, coming to PS5 and also PC this year. Um, and that's, that'll be coming later 2024, no specific date. But, you know, we, we got to see the... Uh, you know, a lot of people are calling it a remaster, but to me, it looked more like a remake. Uh, different graphics and uh, and yeah, I guess uh, a different developer's handling it. A developer called Ballistic Moon is going to be handling that one. Uh, we also got to see a big deep dive uh, gameplay look at Stellar Blade, which was a game that got announced last year, which kind of looked weird because it looked like it was a platinum game, almost looked Bayonetta-ish. Um, but yeah, so we we got a, a lot more closer look at it and uh, an actual release date here this is one of the only release dates announced and this game is coming on april 26th of this year uh and it apparently takes place on some sort of apocalyptic earth setting and um and yeah it looks very much in line with a platinum games sort of frenetic combat kind of game so i think it looks pretty good i'm definitely very interested in this one um we got another dragon's dogma 2 trailer that we know that one's coming march 22nd this is one of my most anticipated games coming so but just seeing another trailer was okay great but i know that one's coming very soon uh we got another game that was previously rumored and uh, turned out to be true was uh, sonic generations uh this one is actually called sonic cross shadow generations and it was looking to me like it would be sonic generations with additional content featuring shadow the hedgehog so you know, the teaser trailer showed us some of the original Sonic Generation stuff, as well as some sort of new um, content with Shadow the Hedgehog. And it looks like that one's coming out to like all the all the Xboxes, Playstations, and Nintendo Switch as well, uh, sometime in the fall of this year. Um, and now, we also got some stuff from Silent Hill. So we saw something called Silent Hill, the short message, which was a big shadow drop. It was Konami uh, releasing this this Silent Hill game. And it's free-to-play, released immediately today on PlayStation 5. I've since, myself, I have since downloaded this. I have not yet played it. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I've heard some pretty mixed things about it, but I'll, you know, I'll wait to give it a, a shot for myself. But, you know, following this, they did show a trailer for the Silent Hill 2 remake project. But I was a little bit uh, annoyed that we didn't see a release date they didn't even give us a generic 2024 although i should say that sony has previously said that's 2024 uh but i was really kind of hoping that we'd get a release date i thought it would be like october sometime you know like some date in october 2024 but we'll see what happens i think it looks pretty good though i've, I've seen some people saying it didn't look very good 
I don't know what those people are talking about. I think it looks awesome. I'm very excited. I love the originals, and I'm looking forward to this. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. Um, we got a new trailer for that game from Ken Levine called Judas. Again, this is another one that was leaked out ahead of time. We kind of knew this was coming, and like I had thought, this really did just look like another, like a next gen Bioshock. Basically, it looks very similar to Bioshock. You know, it didn't. It was a trailer that didn't really tell you much about the game. So wait to see more from it. You know, I like the stuff that Ken Levine has done previously with Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. So uh, this looks very similar to that, at least at this early look. I'll wait to hear more, but definitely looks like it could be uh, intriguing. Um, now we got the announcement that V Rising, which is a which was a, a big a bit of a hit back when it released originally on PC. Uh, what last year, the year before, uh, that is coming to PlayStation Five some point this year, uh, and this is really just kind of like this: you're a vampire, and it's a kind of a vampire survival action RPG style game where you're building your base and blah blah blah. It's, it's a very popular style of game. Um, don't know how it'll. I mean, you know, it'll probably be a good fit for the console, but I don't know. To me, it just kind of felt like, well, they should have struck while the iron was hot. But may, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I didn't see a lot of excitement around that one. Um, uh, we got an announcement that Dave Divi- the, uh, sorry, Dave the Diver is coming to PlayStation. This has already been released on Nintendo Switch and, and uh, quite a bit before that on Steam. So, hey, that's great that uh, if you just have a PlayStation, you'll at least have access to that. Um, so there's a game called Zenless Zone Zero, which is uh, the, part of the Hoyoverse, uh, and it's a new game announced in that. So I guess it's in development for PS5. I assume it's going to be a free-to-play uh, RPG in the vein of... Uh, Honkai Star Rail and um, Genshin Impact. So I assume it's going to be similar to that. I didn't know much about it, to be honest. Uh, as for PlayStation VR, we only got a couple of little trailers, nothing first party. Uh, but the biggest one was clearly the Metro Awakening VR. So we again, we knew that there was going to be some kind of Metro game, and it's just going to be a Metro VR game, which really just kind of looked like more Metro, but in a virtual reality kind of setting. Um, I have to say, looking at it, I just pictured myself getting motion sickness, I have to say. Uh, but I don't know. We'll see. It wasn't uh, anything, you know, to set the world on fire here, unless you're a big Metro fan, I suppose. Uh, and then another game called Legendary Tales uh, that's coming for PlayStation VR as well. Um, so this is some kind of a... It was really weird. It was this fantasy-style game, and it had a lot of weird, janky-looking effects, and the, the graphics were kind of rough-looking. To be honest, I... I didn't think this one really was a good ad for the <laughs> for the state of play because if you're someone hoping to get some quality VR content, it really wasn't here. Uh, and particularly, this one was kind of rough looking. But anyway, there you go. That one's coming at some point. Uh, there was also a new trailer uh, for Foam Stars, which is launching. Uh, well, I guess it's launching today on the. If you have P- PlayStation Plus, this should be one of the free games for the month. Um, which is pretty cool that they're doing that to build up a, you know, a player base for the game. Um, but yeah, there was a trailer showing that one off a little bit. Uh, and lastly, uh, another trailer for Helldivers 2, which is coming out uh, at the end of this week. So and that one is one I'm definitely looking forward to. So there you go. That was their state of play. I can't say that it was um, like mind-blowing. Obviously, the big ones being uh, Death Stranding 2 getting its bigger reveal in the announcement of kojima doing an action espionage game in future although the downer is that it's not going to be for a very long time most likely a playstation 6 
release, I would guess. Um, but either way, there you go. That was it. I would say overall, I would grade it mm, probably a B minus, I would say. Like, it's pretty good. Um, but I think, again, lacking any first party stuff, especially because last year was so dry for first party from them, is kind of what uh, made it feel like, oh, what's going on there? And no- knowing that they had those uh, that big focus on games as a service for all their studios previously makes you really feel like they're in a bit of a pickle here uh you know i think i really think the triple a gaming space on these super high high end consoles is really becoming very difficult and i think we're going to start seeing some significant changes to this uh to this area relatively soon which is of course leading me in uh if you've been paying attention to the the video game news over the past few days, then you know where I'm going here probably. Uh, and that is about the big Xbox news that's been coming out. So over the past week, there's been, I mean, over the past couple of weeks, we've heard leaks that uh, Xbox first party titles like Hi-Fi Rush, see if these were going to be released on competing platforms. So um, there was a data miner that uncovered some additional costumes for Hi-Fi Rush, which seemed to indicate a PlayStation release and a Nintendo Switch release, and that was part of the rumors. And that seems all but certain now. Like we don't have an official announcement just yet, but I mean, at this point, I'd be extremely surprised if it turned out that wasn't true. And I'm, I feel very certain that, yep, that's happening. Um, and it sounds like um, Sea of Thieves again, a, a title that would make sense because it's a game as a service, build up a big player base there, uh, but. That was the original rumors, and then more rumors started to, to fly. Now it's just the floodgates have kind of burst open. Uh, it started with a, a report that the most recent Xbox exclusive Starfield would actually be released for the PlayStation 5 in that its release timing would come sometime after um, the upcoming expansion, Shattered Universe expansion for Starfield that will be releasing on PC and Xbox later this year. And sometime after that, it'll have a full release on PlayStation 5. Of course, this has sent uh, the Xbox community into a bit of a tizzy, um, freaking out. And of course, a lot of uh, people who are like console war people primarily, right? People who have all their eggs in one basket or the other. So all those who are in the PlayStation camp really kind of lobbing some insults the way the Xbox people like, ha, look, we won. Got kind of nonsense, right? And then the Xbox people having full-scale meltdowns about, oh, no, what what does this mean? And a lot of assumptions being jumped to saying, this just simply means Xbox is exiting the hardware business. They are no longer going to do Xbox. Uh, And, you know, what's the value of having an Xbox now if you're going to release everything onto your competitors? Because further rumors have started, too, that Indiana Jones will see a release on PlayStation as well. Uh, Although Xbox exclusive period will exist, but maybe just for a few months and then it'll go to playstation um and then even more rumors i'm starting to see the gears of war series is under serious consideration to come to competing platforms so basically really like you read read the room here based on all these rumors it seems like everything xbox whether halo gears or whatever no matter how sacred it is is up for potential grabs. Now, there has been no official announcement. I have to stress this, that this is happening, but they haven't been entirely silent because given the mounting speculation rumors and meltdowns that have been happening, uh, we did get a response from Phil Spencer via X. He did a post on X, um, and of course, 
in an official capacity saying this, and I quote, We're listening and we hear you. We've been planning a business update event for next week where we look forward to sharing more details with you about our vision for the future of Xbox. Stay tuned. Well, of course, hearing that is interesting, right? Like, I mean, he's not denying anything. Um, But at the same time, I don't expect him, if they're planning a big reveal about whatever the strategy is coming up next week, that I don't expect him to come out and say, okay, well, let me just address all these rumors now and then we'll give you more later. I I assume they're just saying that we're going to talk about this later. Um, So that's not saying that they're out of the council business, but it's also not denying it either. Maybe that is going to be what happens. Um, Because I'll definitely say that if they're going to release their first party content on, if it's just all going to come to PlayStation. And again, we don't know the specifics behind it. But if that is the case, then sure. Then a lot of people will think, well, what's the point in uh, buying an Xbox when you could buy a PlayStation to get the best of PlayStation and the best of Xbox, if that is indeed the case. But again, that's only speculation because we don't know that that is the strategy. It could very well be we're going to release stuff on PlayStation, even if it does mean everything, but it could be on a case-by-case basis like they've said previously or uh, you know, maybe one year of exclusivity on Xbox or maybe Xbox gets that content plus an extra stuff, whereas PlayStation gets just the base. I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of different ways that could go. Um, but one thing I'll say is that... There's a lot of information if you go out there, including some uh, news sites or supposed journalist sites that are really reporting on this as they're exiting the hardware business. And, you know, that could very well be true. But again, we don't know anything just yet. Um, A lot of people comparing this to when Sega exited the hardware business. Um, And while I can understand how those connections would be made, I don't it's not the same thing here because Sega back then they were primarily a video game company and nothing more right so they had to fully exit the hardware business in order to focus on what their money making was and that was through their software whereas microsoft is not just a video game company obviously they're in fact primarily a pc-based software company but again they're not completely amateur to hardware they've made a lot of hardware in the past right and i mean they currently also there is precedent for them to maintain hardware in a market where they are not even close to being the dominant player and i'm talking of course about the microsoft surface line of products which is a hybrid um tablet slash laptop whereas the clear leader in that is the ipad Right? The iPad is the clear leader in the tablet industry, uh, and it doesn't even come close. But, I mean, I would say the Surface certainly does offer something that the iPad doesn't in that in terms of being a hybrid laptop. Like, even I have a, a, a Surface as well, and I use it primarily as a, a lower-powered laptop. I mean, I have uh, my own Mac as well, but, uh, but I like using my Surface um, you know, for other purposes. And I use it, like I said, as a makeshift laptop. Um, so yeah, like uh, basically what I'm saying, and, and I saw some other speculation, whether or not this was leaked information or not, was that Microsoft wasn't exactly planning to exit the hardware industry, but more the idea that they would potentially open up uh, the Xbox architecture to third-party companies to make their own versions of the Xbox, kind of transforming the Xbox into more of like a, 
like what we have, or, or I guess what we used to have with things like a VCR or like a, a DVD player or a Blu-ray player where other companies can make their own versions of the Blu-ray player, but the internal specs should allow you to, at the core, play the media that is designed for it. And otherwise, any other companies would put their extra spin on things. And that could be what they're going to do. I don't know. But obviously, I think it's safe to say Game Pass is a huge part of their business. And probably the primary platform for Xbox is Game Pass, right? You know, we saw the um, the leaked stuff earlier in the year, or last year, about uh, potential for a diskless Xbox Series X that would back then was being planned to be rolled out for this year. Um, sounds like those plans may have changed there. But if that's the case, you know, they were looking at a more digitalish future and all the rumors now that they've uh, laid off everyone who was in, in charge of doing physical Xbox games and we see a shrinking shelf space for Xbox stuff. I mean, this is all troubling if you were someone who's bought in completely to Xbox. I mean, I'm myself, I love Xbox and I'm a, but I am a multi-platform person. I love PlayStation, I love Xbox, and I love Nintendo, and I'm invested in all three platforms. But that said, seeing Xbox go away, if that was the case, if they were just going to say, we're going to go the way of Sega, I think that would be a very negative space for the industry. Um, because, number one, Sony has shown a, um, a history of becoming complacent and being nasty with the consumers when they think they're in a, a position to not have any competition. Hence what happened with the PlayStation 3 era, right? Although they ended up regaining their foothold. Um, at To start, they were charging an outlandish price for the PS3 and were just so... Like, that was coming off the success of the PS2, but uh, they really just rested on their laurels a little bit with that, even though Xbox had a, a year head start, but when they understood how they underestimated the competition and were really kind of shooting the customers on it, uh, they had to make uh, gains back. Now, PS4, they had a spectacular generation, and this time Microsoft dropped the ball and uh, in the way they marketed their console. Um, and obviously Microsoft hasn't really been able to regain a lot of that ground since then. But, you know, I was thinking that they were starting to actually make serious inroads here with their they were getting back on board with their exclusives through their acquisitions they were kind of they took a page out of sony's book but something definitely has changed along the way and now i kind of see things differently like they haven't announced a strategy yet but i'm starting to kind of think that you know all this time they've been telling us that we want games to be played the more games to the more more players the better or some variation of that right and i was just kind of thought well that was just kind of their marketing speak to sort of say that they're really for for the players but now i'm starting to see like no i think maybe they are they've been signposting that they're doing this like we we had already seen ori in the blind forest and or in the will of the wisp coming to the switch uh and that happened a long time ago uh and obviously games like cuphead which came out originally for xbox went everywhere i know that's not first party but but even still i mean minecraft after microsoft owned minecraft continued to to exist on those rival platforms but the important thing being minecraft dungeons and most recently minecraft legends got released on all the platforms at the same time when they didn't have any obligation to do so right so there's already precedence for this stuff out there but now they're just really sounding like they're probably going to be opening the floodgates even more so and i believe that is probably going to be the case i don't think this is a, a false alarm here there's just too much noise 
um, that is consistent across the board coming from people who have good track records for leaking this stuff. So it seems like, yes, that's coming. But what I'm thinking here, so there's two scenarios here, and I don't think either of these scenarios is, is Xbox completely exiting the hardware business, or at least not now. Maybe that's in the future they, they slow down or stop. But I do believe, like I said with the Surface, that they're always going to have a platform that they can release, whether it is an all-digital box or something. Like, there's going to be next-gen tech, next-gen consoles, uh, and I think they're always going to have that platform, but they're just not going to worry about having pure exclusives for their platform. But they do want to have a dedicated area for you to play Game Pass on, uh, right? And I think they're really going to build the strength of Game Pass. Um, and not an effort to sell more Xbox consoles, but in an effort to get you playing on their services and that will whether you want to play that on playstation and maybe that is through those individual purchased games that playstation knows at least for today um you know in the ps5 era but um if you wanted to or you know if you're like hey i'm I'm into this and i want to get the full-on game pass experience then maybe you get the xbox platform for that right but i don't think they're too troubled about where you decide to play as long as you decide to play Again, that's that's sort of my speculation, um, but I think I see that going in a, in a couple of different ways. Like I said, that they have that dedicated platform, but they don't care. In like I said, potentially third party companies, um, you know, make that, or uh, you know, I think that they look to. I think what the longer term sort of picture of what happening is that. This is all an impact of how expensive AAA development is today. Budgets are just out of control, and it's it's just this old model isn't working anymore. And we saw some through the leaks of the uh, the Microsoft Activision Blizzard trial. E- even Sony recognized that their business model was becoming outdated, and that things will be shifting eventually. And they recognized that Microsoft was ahead of the game. So I see that Microsoft is rushing to potentially do this, but it could be that they're in an Xbox One situation as well, right? Where, like, in Xbox One, they announced everything about the always online console, all the stuff that really, like, killed that platform dead for them right from the beginning. And um, it turned out that what they had planned, they were trying to get ahead of, was what we have today. All these consoles are consoles are always online and they need to do those online digital checks to make sure that you actually own your digital library, right? Um, which was something they were being chastised for back then because they went to that market too fast so i'm wondering are they moving too fast for this are they trying to get ahead of this okay everything we make is everywhere and um you know we're going to be ahead because we're going to have this gigantic service ready for you to go when this market eventually collapses on itself which like i said i think it's this last week that i predict that we're headed towards a new sort of industry collapse on this particular course but I, I don't mean in exactly the same way. It's not going to look the same way as it did with uh, E.T. back in 1983, but rather um, something different today. Uh, and again, like I think we see that the signs are there for like for all the PlayStation, like people who are like only PlayStation fans and are trying to stick it to the Xbox fans. I would not be casting stones just yet, given that uh, you might be in a glass house if you're all eggs on that platform. Because again, look how many first person part or titles they have coming out uh right now they can rest easy on their name brand recognition but the truth of the matter is that um 
you know, it's easy for them to say that they're the leaders and for a lot of people to point to them as the leader in the industry. But the reality is that they're actually not the leader. The leader is Nintendo. And that is simply because a lot of people don't compare them direct to each other or they compare only these slivers of time to say, well, you know, this past week, PS5 sold more than the Switch. Well, that's because the Switch is at the end of its life and with the expected announcement of a successor to that platform coming up or the other qualifier that some people throw out there is that oh you can't compare them because the power differential is just not the same right or nintendo is primarily handheld which obviously as we know is not true it's hybrid uh and a lot of people are playing it on the television so it is indeed a competing platform but the biggest differentiator is of course that nintendo's not in that sort of nuclear arms race of trying to have the most powerful console around, um, right? And they are looking to innovate in different ways. So I think when we look just at the high-powered console market, it's Sony and Microsoft. And with Microsoft, if they were to be removed from that, you have Sony with no competition. They will control the pricing of that, that particular structure. And given those inflated costs like i said it could get ugly pretty quick with no competition to keep them in check um but you know like i said i think even with microsoft in play if they were being competitive in the same way you know you have sony having to keep up with these costs and given again like their fan base has started to make a little bit of noise but hey you guys don't really announce much yet like again i'm talking first party wise they're relying a lot on third party and uh and yeah i don't know like at the end of the day they don't have they have a a good legacy already for playstation but if you were to put them up against nintendo nintendo obviously has a way richer longer legacy way more uh important ips that people are very dedicated to so when it comes down to it if you just if you're left with a playstation and nintendo i mean i think nintendo is always going to be that clear winner at least in the current day because last generation the ps4 a lot of people think ps4 was the leader but again nintendo was the leader there's just no question about it nintendo switch did not uh, line up exactly timeline wise with the ps4 it kind of has they have their own generation which again there's a reason a lot of people discredit them or discount them but there's just no this is just objective right like the amount of platforms sold as well as software uh is far more in nintendo's favor nintendo has outsold everyone in that regard and that continues into this current generation um but again we know that the switch is nearing the end and we're going to have a new nintendo platform as well and assuming they stick to what has worked i expect to see them to continue that success and in fact i think in this new world order this is my my prediction now is that it, and I, i've mentioned this before in that new world order for the console landscape like i said this old way of doing things via the xbox versus playstation exclusivity wars uh with the AAA games is going to come crashing down because again playstation hasn't really experimented much in the ps4 or 5 generation not like they used to in the ps2 and ps3 days right you don't have a lot of new properties that they're exploring a lot of safe sequels and especially the ps5 days so far a lot of remakes a lot of remasters and blah 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 blah. not a whole bunch of new stuff and even god of war sequel as much as i like it it is uh, more of the same right spider-man 2 was really like really good but again more of the same these are all very safe bets and that stuff does well enough but 
is it enough to keep up with these rising costs? I don't know. Uh, and that's what makes me think things are going to come crashing down because that's why we don't see as much stuff coming out. So a crash down doesn't mean that the industry goes away. I just think a drastic shift in how things are done. And I think this is Microsoft kind of playing 4D chess here, kind of, right? Like they are trying to get ahead of the situation and build it their portfolio. So I don't believe this means the end of their console hardware uh, but i think that what we how we, right now we're looking at it from an, an old lens of how the industry is and i think re- realistically we need to consider it now from i th- i don't think well time will tell because it's still like the old part of me thinks like oh this is it, this really does kind of make it feel like a, a hard argument to make for someone to buy an xbox i guess but at the same time you know the um who knows what the future is going to hold. So there's a lot of unanswered questions right now, but I do have some predictions that I want to get through here before we get into this segment. Uh, So my prediction is that Microsoft will indeed announce that they're going to be having these games that we know about coming out to other platforms. And I think that it is going to start, I think it's going to be not everything all at once, like a floodgate, but yeah, I think we'll be see hi-fi rush. Like as, as is rumored, we'll be the first one up and relatively soon. We'll probably see sea of thieves shortly thereafter. And yes, I believe Starfield comes to PlayStation later this year. Indiana Jones will probably follow suit with that. And, you know, I think we're going to see a few other titles maybe released outside like that this year, but I don't think that we're going to see a huge floodgate. Like for example, I don't think necessary every halo game, like Master Chief Collection stuff. I don't think we're going to see all that stuff flying in just yet. But knowing that they also have a Halo TV show second season coming up, uh, don't know if that's going to impact anything. Uh, I won't be surprised to see that maybe next year or the year after that we start to see Gears of War Halo and Forza starting to come out. And then we get into a regular cadence of comes out for Xbox first. And I think the game-by-game basis will be comes to Xbox, let's say a game like Halo for a year then comes to PlayStation and some of the other titles, especially Bethesda titles and Activision titles, um, come to Xbox a couple months, a few months, and then to PlayStation thereafter, or in some cases, day and date. But I suspect Xbox players will at least have a bonus for some time. But I do believe that really over time that's going to erode, 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 and eventually it's going to be day and date across the board for everything. But I'm going to counter say that I think that we're going to start to see some PlayStation stuff more and more released elsewhere. Not that I think necessarily you'll see that on Xbox simply because the Xbox hardware just doesn't have the same reach. Um, So there's not a lot of benefit there, I guess. But, you know, we're already seeing some PlayStation stuff coming to PC after some time, but I think we're going to see that that gap shorten and shorten and eventually we're going down a road where things are just going to come out under these different subscription services and different studio names and going forward they're going to continue to exist as xbox studios playstation studios coming out for probably more of a unified pc like situation i think steam deck and uh, what's happening in the portable pc market is going to be a very good indicator of what we see where we're going to see companies making their consoles with the Xbox approved tech or whatever, Game Pass certified consoles, let's say, uh, and potentially even you see Sony eventually give that up and have PlayStation certified tech. Again, that's a bit of a bold, that's a much longer term sort of prediction, but I think that's kind of where things are heading and Microsoft is trying to get ahead of it, but hopefully for their sake, they're not moving too fast on it. Uh, 
but either way, I do have some stuff on my Xbox, and I don't I don't sit here worried that uh oh I've lost all my investment here because I still have this console. It still works, and I don't really expect them to exit the hardware business. Uh, either way, and I think one thing they have strong for them is their digital library, their Game Pass, obviously. And I think any, if anyone out there has made some digital purchases on the Xbox uh, network, I think your library is safe. You're going to carry that wherever you go as long as you keep with uh, Xbox just as a service. You know what I mean? So anyway, we'll see. Time will tell. Uh, I've been rambling a lot about it. I definitely have lots of thoughts still, and things just keep coming out about it. I'm sure we will revisit this next week, and hopefully by the time I record, uh, they will have had that uh, business uh, update, so we'll find out. But definitely big news, and I think this will set a real big precedent for the industry. But I will end this by saying that I think the only company that is safe from all this is, like I said before, Nintendo. Even if we had a future where Xbox has that you know, hardware out there, but not really focusing on the hardware and, and focusing on the services. And if PlayStation moves in that direction as well, and we have just these disparate um, um, amount of consoles out there, but not really the same competition like we saw before, I think you'll always have Nintendo making their own specific hardware because they often tie their games directly with their hardware, unlike the others have had. Because Nintendo com- comes from that old school we're a game maker first and foremost, and going forward, we value that. I think Nintendo is the only one who will come out of this without having to drastically alter their landscape. But anyway, I digress. Let us uh, move ahead now. Uh, I want to talk a bit about uh, what I've been playing. So obviously Final Fantasy VII Remake I've been playing quite a bit of. Uh, I did pick up Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, and I played a bit of that, but I, I opted not to. I really like what I played so far, and I don't want to get too deep into it because I'm... Uh, going through Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I'm telling you, well, I'll, I'll get into my Final Fantasy VII <laughs> thoughts in a bit, but I did get my Analog Duo console today. That's, uh, of course, the analog console that has uh, support for TurboGrafx-16 as well as PC Engine titles in the in the CD games as well. It's very excited to get it. It's a sleek-looking piece of hardware. I posted uh, pictures of my uh, of my new console on, on X, so go ahead and follow me there. You can find me at Red Rooster GC and uh, see the pics that I posted. Uh, I also meant to mention this a couple weeks ago, but I didn't. But I ended up getting a, a, a couple of gifts of video or video games as gifts uh, given to me, and that was uh, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth and Tekken 8. Uh, and I, so I, I have those sitting ready to go, but I barely uh, touched them thus far because I got sidetracked with Pal World. Uh, and as well Prince of Persia and of course Final Fantasy VII Remake I've really been focusing on that so I've been having a great time with all these games and you know it makes me excited for all the games I have yet to to play soon so anyway uh, all right let's take a quick little break and come back to talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake Welcome back. 
So yeah, I've been playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I've been enjoying the heck out of it. So right off the, you know, right off the bat, I want to state up front, I was a huge fan of Final Fantasy VII, and as I think I've shared this story in the past, I was just a huge Final Fantasy fan right from the get-go. I've been playing Final Fantasy since Final Fantasy, the original, released in North America on the NES. Uh, Final Fantasy II for the SNES, which, you know, as we all learned later, was actually Final Fantasy IV. Uh, Final Fantasy III slash Final Fantasy VI on the SNES was... Those two games, Final Fantasy II and III, otherwise IV and VI, uh, were huge revelations for me, playing, just experiencing these stories that I didn't think was possible, especially with the sprite work that they used, just the atmosphere they created with the, the pixel art, and just the amazing characters and combat systems, and how amazing those games were. These are some of my favorite video game experiences I've had, and they'll, they'll sit with me forever. Now, when it came time for the next Final Fantasy, which was to be Final Fantasy VII, you know, I was waiting for the announcement. I expected, hey, we knew then the at the time named Ultra 64 was going to be coming, and we had seen concept for what Super Mario 64 was, uh, ideas of what we might expect for other games and popular fan franchises, and we even saw a Final Fantasy 64 uh, using Final Fantasy 6 characters as a concept tech demo. Uh, it showed what would be possible on the Ultra 64. And I was super excited about it. But then it just kind of vanished for a little bit. We knew Nintendo would take a little while to get the Ultra 64, now known as the Nintendo 64, out the door. Uh, and in the meantime, Sega had released their Sega Saturn, and Sony was a newcomer to the scene with their PlayStation. And hey, you know what? I was waiting for all the Nintendo games that I loved, and I was waiting for that platform to come out. But in the meantime, knowing it'd be a while, I was eyeballing both the Saturn and the PlayStation. I kind of leaned originally towards the Saturn because I thought, hey, you know what? The Saturn, I love Sega. I love the Genesis. And I definitely want whatever they do with Sonic because I think there's going to be a 3D Sonic. Um, You know, there's going to be new Sonic games. I definitely want to get into that. Um, But this PlayStation looked kind of interesting. They have some interesting looking games, but really didn't have any, uh, nothing that I, you know, no like killer app as it were right um nothing that i knew to be tried and true like it didn't have a mario it didn't have this uh i saw the commercial for the crash bandicoot game coming up but you know i had a, i was lucky enough to try an early demo of mario 64 prior to its release so i really wasn't as impressed with crash because i'm like oh this is uh pretty lame compared to what i played for mario right so i just wasn't interested but as soon as I saw Final Fantasy VII, which, by the way, that was when I first realized, like, what? Seven? What happened to four, five, and six? And that's when I researched and found out, actually, there's a whole bunch of Final Fantasies we never got. And they are just going to use the proper numbering now. So that was, first of all, a sign to me, like, okay, so are we going to go back and get all the ones we didn't get before? And wait, this is coming to PlayStation? Is it going to come to Nintendo 64? And finding, no, they are going to be exclusively on PlayStation Well, that made my mind up for me right there because Final Fantasy was one of those core franchises that I'm like, well, of course I have to play the next Final Fantasy. I love this franchise just as much as I like Zelda, Mario, etc. So big shock that it was not going to be on a Nintendo console, but I want to play that game. So I'm going to, that made up my mind. I'm not going to buy a Dreamcast, or not Dreamcast, sorry, a Sega Saturn. I'm going to buy a PlayStation because I want to play Final Fantasy. And that's what made me want to get my PlayStation. I got PlayStation that year, the year Final Fantasy VII released as a Christmas gift. 
along with a copy of Final Fantasy. And that is a memory I'll always have of Christmas morning, waking up, uh, hooking up my PlayStation in my bedroom and popping in Final Fantasy VII. And I remember all morning long playing through the opening areas in Midgard and thinking, wow, this game, like there's Barrett swore in the early game uh, and just how dark and like grungy the game was and thinking, well, this is really different from Final Fantasy, but it still feels like Final Fantasy. And the graphics were awesome. The the pre-rendered backgrounds and the full motion videos, which was something new to console games, was extremely impressive. So this was a landmark game and to this day remains so. I mean, they've done remastered uh, releases for it on all the platforms ever since but really final fantasy 7 was a hallmark playstation game and it'll always be kind of considered a playstation game because this is the game in my opinion that single-handedly won them the war against sega in the mindshare at that time because people who didn't even have any experience with final fantasy saw commercials on tv for it and saw the, those lovely full motion video sequences and gameplay and even friends I knew who were just not interested at all in Final Fantasy before were all over Final Fantasy VII because it looked amazing and people bought a PlayStation for it. So yeah, that was a, that's how important Final Fantasy VII was for me, uh, as well as to PlayStation. It's a pretty big deal. So Final Fantasy VII Remake being announced way back when it did at E3, people were crying when they announced the that this was being remade because of the excitement that this one of the most important games in this franchise getting a remake was something that people had dreamed of for a long time and now seeing this come to fruition was incredible it was a huge huge event and after what seemed like years of development it finally released in 20 oh yeah it was 2020 it was just as the pandemic was setting in and i remember originally I had pre-ordered my copy at a local uh, electronics boutique, EB Games, here in Canada before they rebranded everything to GameStop. Um, but yeah, I had my copy pre-ordered, but just before it came out, the uh, you know local uh, government had shut everything down. Like, I mean, we were already in lockdown, but you couldn't even go to stores weren't allowed to open anymore because it, it used to allow us to go for sidewalk pickups, but... They had said, nope, no more, can't do any of that stuff. So they had decided they were going to, instead of providing everyone, like if you had pre-ordered it, because I like physical, you couldn't go to the store to pick it up now. They were going to take some time, get everyone who had pre-ordered it, get their shipping addresses, confirm them with everyone, and mail them to everyone free of charge, which was good, but that meant it was going to be a couple weeks because they had a huge amount of um, copies that they had pre-ordered so I, I remember thinking oh my gosh this is horrifying i want to play this the day it comes out how can i do this so what i did i said forget this i'm gonna get this game digital because i i can't not play it i want to play it right away and i digitally purchased it on the playstation network uh and then you know eb games ended up sending me a copy anyway despite the fact that i had canceled it um and then when i brought it to them they said that's fine you keep it it's yours bonus for me i guess right but um uh i was super excited i played it when it first came out i never played it to completion but because of the pandemic and all the stuff that was going on i ended up getting sucked into other stuff i played a lot of it but then i, I kind of slowed down i never completed it and i didn't get too far in i would say um and i ended up putting it down so that was my my history with final fantasy 7 remake uh, and i always thought i'm gonna absolutely come back to this and play it um, but I was such a big fan of the original. I have such 
when I think back of playing the original, it, a lot of emotions come back. I remember being so emotional when I played that original game. Um, you know, uh, and I will say this, that if you're listening to this now, there will be spoilers here, uh, at least insofar as I have gone through for Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to spoil things from the OG Final Fantasy VII, but suffice it to say, there are some pretty big differences uh, in this game, given that the first game was one game, and Final Fantasy VII Remake is going to be three games. And this is just the first part, and we know the second one comes out at the end of this month, which I can't wait for. I'm super excited for. But with that said, uh, let's talk about my progress so far. Now that you know a little bit of my history with Final Fantasy VII and just my complete adoration for this game and how important it was, um, let's, so let's talk about it. So right off the top, I have finished... Chapters 1 through, through, and I'm currently in the midst of completing chapter 10 of the game. And that is of 18 total chapters. So I'm a little over halfway through the game. Uh, I don't know that that includes the DLC, the Integrate uh, episode that, that was released. Uh, but I'm, I plan on completing all of it. But um, so far, what I wanted to talk about is the stuff that I've noticed that is different from the original PlayStation 1 release to now. Because right off the top, this is obviously very different. So the structure of the original game was that you started out in Midgard, like this city, kind of like this, almost like a Mad Max-style, broken-down, steampunkish city. And um, you eventually escape from that city, and it opens up the open world and the overworld map, and then you have this huge globe-trotting adventure after the fact. So the opening area in Midgard, this first part of Final Fantasy VII Remake, the entire game takes place only in Midgard. So that opening sequence from the first game is what this particular game covers. So this has been greatly expanded because this game is probably, I, I'm guessing, about 40 to 50 hours worth of stuff, if not more, because uh, there's a, a ton of extra content in here. They've really fleshed a lot of it out. They've added a whole bunch more characters and a lot and just a lot more detail. So given that, you know, you have this game that is a full length game that takes place only in the first section of Final Fantasy VII, well, then, you know, there's going to be a lot more detail in here. So right away, uh, you know, you, you, you meet the members of Avalanche right from the beginning of the game, which is true to the original Final Fantasy VII, right? You have your main characters of Aerith, Tifa, Barrett, and obviously yourself, uh, Cloud. Right, that's the main character you play as, and then you know you also have the members like Jesse, Wedge, Biggs, and all them. But Jesse, Wedge, and Biggs get a lot more um, development time now, in the, especially in the first portion of the game, uh, because they fleshed it out. They've even added like an additional story element um, in the early chapters, anyway. Uh, so the character of Jesse uh, gets you to, uh, as part of one of the missions, gets you to access this Shinra warehouse. Uh, and it, this is a chapter that is uh, that takes place in the residential district. And uh, you go with Biggs and Wedge, um, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, to deal with this particular storyline. And it introduces a new, um, a new enemy who was not in the original game, a new boss. And I'm trying to recall the name. His name was Rausch, I believe. And it was just this, he's really this sort of flamboyant personality in the game, but this is a brand new character as far as I can tell uh, in, in the remake. And you, you have this big 
crazy boss road or boss uh, fight against him on the road in the on a motorcycle uh and it's just it's really weird you have this really weird uh battle with with uh with him on the road and off the roads it's, it's really quite interesting but um but yeah, like there's a lot of different characters in this game, a lot of new NPCs created, and uh, obviously a lot more enemies, a lot of environments that you get to see. And obviously, it goes without saying, the graphics in this game are just amazing. So this is one of those games that came out for the PS4, but really, like on the PS5, like this feels like more of a PS5 game that was downgraded a bit to go on the PS4. Um, because it feels more natural on the PS5. It looks incredible. And, and being able to see some of those environments from the PS4, or sorry, the original PS1 game, now realized in this full sort of style. And obviously the old PS1 game had that uh, chibi-ish kind of look to the characters, the hyper-deformed kind of look, uh, and, and a lot more cartoony looking, whereas this one goes for the realistic proportions. And I think they did a great job at interpreting those characters as full properly proportioned humans now and uh, the environments as well the music special mention there because so much of the music that i'm listening to as i'm playing through final fantasy 7 remake is hitting those nostalgia bones quite nicely because i hear the music and i just feel this wave of nostalgia that washes over me especially like Aerith, right hearing Aerith's theme start to play and just this well of emotion kind of swells up just knowing what this what those the notes of that music mean to me right as i played through the original game and it's so they do you know they use this so well here it's incredible to see how uh how they've been able to to deal with that but i'll say this that um the enemies that you're fighting too some of the crazier style of enemies like for example if you remember playing in the original playstation one game one of the enemies was this like like this robotic or haunted house kind of like you're fighting a house and that was just a regular enemy battle that you'd have to go up against in the original ps1 game which seemed kind of ridiculous but that enemy makes an appearance in this game and it's really weird when it comes up because it comes up in the corneo uh, chapters one of the more recent chapters i played um but when you have to deal with uh with uh, don corneo uh it's he's got this coliseum area which i'll get to in a bit but uh it's in that area you fight this house and seeing it made me laugh at first, but also like I thought they did a really good job at incorporating that into the game where it, it feels like it makes sense in the game to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, but you know, it's not just that kind of stuff that they didn't just flesh stuff out. They also did make some storyline changes. And I think having some storylines fleshed out and, you know, you, you get more development time with, with, like someone like Cloud, Tifa, Bear, like you get more stuff about them, which just makes sense, right? And they're also able to be more expressive with this these graphics. But I will say that um, they do make some story changes that are interesting. Um, you know, I've, I've heard that some of the bigger story beats get changed later on in the la latter half of the game. But even what I've played so far, there's some pretty big uh, changes made. So an example being in the original game, um, you know, Cloud and Bear, one of the early missions that they take on in Sector One is that they go to the uh, the reactor and, um, you know, they blow the facility up. But uh, in the remake, it's not them, you know, um, it's not them who, who blow it up. It is actually Shinra in, themselves that do the or that cause the explosion and it's like a huge explosion way more devastating and even avalanche is kind of shocked by like the amount of destruction that happens 
And it's it's weird because like wh- wait hold on why did Shinra do this like in the original game it was Avalanche that was out to destroy the the reactors so why in the heck what motivation would Shinra have at all to want to do that because the whole point in the first game is that you know you're trying to shut down these Mako reactors to save the planet uh, but in this case well if Shinra's going to do it like to what end right and this is a whole point. Uh, is that they they are doing it more for a propaganda kind of thing? They wanna they wanna make people of the people of Mimgar see Avalanche as a terrorist organization, and also secondarily, uh, they will have big time profit if they ha- kind of suggest there's a second or there's another big war that they can be having with the nation of Wu Tai, which is again something that doesn't happen in the original game. That's not a, a story point at all. So that that was pretty interesting. The kind of show a an even darker side to Shinra in this. And I, and I kind of like that change. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's stuff that, uh, that you see happen with the story that changes up. Uh, there's also another character called Chadley that helps to add like new sort of stuff that you can, you can do in the game. So Chadley is someone who can give you new ma- uh, materia. So materia, of course, being the orbs that you equip to your equipment and allows you to access certain magic uh, powers. But Chadley is this researcher who who gets you to gather this battle intel for them. And really, this is like defeat certain enemies in a certain amount of times. And once you do this, not fulfill these requirements, you get a, you visit Chadley and he'll give you certain rewards, which is usually new materia. So you can get some rare stuff that way, right? Um, anyway, it's, it's it's kind of a cool extra thing that you can kind of do as you're playing through the game uh, in that uh, you have this battle intel and enemy intel that you can build out these lists, kind of like a secondary achievement list kind of thing, and you get rewarded for filling those out. So I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and I think one, uh, one change that was made as well in the game story-wise that uh, it's not like... It's a change that makes sense, I think, given that this is the first full entry of the Final Fantasy remake series in that it's a full game. One big part of Final Fantasy VII lore, of course, has been the the villain of the game, Sephiroth, who's been a huge popular character ever since. So it would be difficult for them to do Final Fantasy VII Part One and not feature Sephiroth at all because in the original Final Fantasy VII game, Sephiroth doesn't show up until they leave Midgar and in the outer world later right in this game however sephiroth shows up pretty early um he's actually talked about um um like early on in the game you see the aftermath of his actions but um you know he's quite prominent throughout this story and he's so far from what i've seen he's got a really big role right away like they're name dropping him and Cloud seems to react quite a bit to the idea of Sephiroth. He's having these sort of strange reactions, and it's clear that he has some kind of link to Cloud. Uh, but you meet him in Chapter 2. Like, he actually appears uh, right away in Chapter 2. And it's just this strange section where you have to follow Sephiroth down this narrow side street, and um, there's flames, and it's just all sorts of crazy stuff. But it seems to be some kind of an illusion that Cloud keeps going back and forth through this kind of struggle to maintain and um and basically it's showing that there's a big history with sephiroth and how important he is here and you know he's so far as i've been playing he keeps popping up here and then um and yeah it's just kind of like again it's something i didn't find to be too surprising to see this happen but it's uh it is definitely an interesting 
spot to see him kind of popping in and uh, making his presence really well known. Uh, but I will say that if you've never played the original Final Fantasy VII, there is still a mystique to him because there's not a lot of like. I mean, there's obviously you get the info that there's something weird about him and that he's not a good guy, but. There's also a little bit of an allure to the character and a little bit of mystery as well. Again, I'm only up to chapter 10 so far, so I don't know if they kind of go all out with him. We'll see. But, but yeah, that, that's definitely something interesting here. Um, and I should also say that there's also another story element that shows up that was not part of the original game. And it's these creatures called the Whispers. And it's basically when, in chapter 2, when Cloud first meets Aerith... Um, uh, she's ha- she appears to be having some sort of breakdown, like she's troubled by some some sort of weird thing that only she can see, and uh, and eventually she pulls Cloud into this sort of what you think is like an illusion at first. It's kind of these weird phantom apparitions that are circling around. They kind of have like a Grim Reaper esque look about them that float around. They're like these ghosts that no one else can see, and. I don't know. They seem to be important because they've shown up a few times in the game, and every time they've shown up, it's been pretty, uh, pretty intense. So, and I have no idea what these guys are here for. I just see them popping up a few times. They play a big role, and I don't know why because they were not at all a part of the original game. And for me, as a, someone who's played through the original, it's really got me intrigued to see where's this going. Like, what impact does this have to the story? And this shows like that they've really reinterpreted a lot of the stuff and then they're they found something and this is i think the biggest change here that i've seen so far that i think i like the most is that it's this new mysterious element and curious as to how this one plays out um but yeah like uh, you know otherwise from a ga- more of a gameplay perspective obviously this is not a turn-based battle game anymore uh it is more action-based but it does allow you to slow the slow the game so unlike final fantasy 16 you can enter the command menu and it slows things right down to a crawl where you can select the different commands you want them to take and then coming out of the command menu it resumes in full Real time, so I, I really like the balance they hit for real time combat as well as entering in old school um, commands. I think they really hit a good balance here of keeping it modern, but also retaining some part of the active time battle stuff because you have to build up active time battle segments on your action bar. So, for example, casting a certain powerful spell might cost two action time battle bars, and over time it, it slowly builds. And the more you know actions you take, if you just swing your sword, that doesn't cost doesn't cause any kind of uh, action. You could just swing that freely, but that helps you to build up that meter. And to cast spells require and do certain bigger actions causes you are required to fill, uh, spend these chunks of active time battle, basically. It's this interesting way to kind of do a hybrid of those uh, styles in one go. And I think they did a really good job with it, with this. And honestly, I kind of wish they copied this for Final Fantasy sixteen since they were kind of hell-bent on having that action combat base there. Um but you know, I digress. I'm glad to see that they didn't just fully abandon the uh, active time battle in this one. But they do a good job at uh, kind of making it a hybrid system here. Um, but yeah, there's um, another thing too in that, like you you eventually like come into like a main story objective. But in the meantime, you have these odd jobs that you can complete around town, and it kind of opens up like a certain you know, like Sector 7, for example, like you can go around town, take on these odd jobs. And the more of these, they're kind of like side quests. And the more of these side quests you do for the locals, you develop more of a reputation with them about this helpful mercenary who's been 
working beside the seams to help people. And it's very cool that the way they've done it. And then you get to the market, uh, um, the market district where Don Corneo is, the walled market. And uh, that's I, I thought that was a really flavorful section because it's this kind of seedy underbelly area, lots of bars, people getting sick, and uh, lots of just kind of like black markety kind of stuff. And obviously dealing with Don Corneo. And I think the way that they handled. Um, you know the the kind of implied prostitution, uh, as well as a cloud having to dress up as a woman. Uh, in the original release, it was kind of like comedic because, of course, he was like cartoony looking, right? And they played it up almost for comedy, but it was to to that sort of unique Final Fantasy charm. In this game, because they have more realistic look and, and very detailed graphics, I wondered how the scene would play out if they would just change it entirely for fear of offending someone or you know, how they would approach it. But actually, they do keep it. Uh, you know, Cloud does go in dressed up, uh, and they don't play it for jokes, but it is, uh, they they handled it really elegantly. That's all I can say. I really I can't really describe why it works, but it just does. Like, you know, they, they do play it very straight-faced, and they do a good job at, like, you know, making him blend in in that game, like, dressed up as a, as a female and going into Don Corneo's... Uh, private residence to be judged along with other women and then you know how they handle that it's again especially today it's, a, it's more of a sensitive topic but the, you know they handled it well without having to pull any punches there i think they did a great job in handling it and that like i said that that section is one of the more recent chapters i've just completed and i think that whole area there uh, dealing with the walled market area was really entertaining i had a lot of fun going through and seeing some of the stuff there and they had this um new section with Corneo's Coliseum. Um, while you're there, there's a, Colise- a combat Coliseum. You have to fight because there's this new NPC called Madam M who runs this massage parlor and you have to win her approval because then she can vouch for you so you can gain access to Don Corneo's uh, hideout. But um, before you, you do that, you have to do some stuff for her and that is to participate in this Coliseum tournament held at uh, Corneo's Coliseum. And it's a lot of fun to go through these combat encounters, and that's where you fight that giant house that I was talking about earlier. Um, but it, you have these interesting combat encounters, but later on you need to get someone else's, I believe his name is Andreas, you have to get his uh, his stamp of approval as well. And in order to impress him, he wants you to perform in a dance-off. And it sounds crazy and weird. And I, I'll say straight up, like the music... It's not my kind of thing at all, but they make a very fun mini game out of it where you have to to time these button presses. Not so much like a rhythm game, but like just this cool little side game where you, you do these uh, choreographed dances uh, and time your button presses. But I like the way they've they introduce the button prompts as they come up uh, as part of the background. Sometimes it's, it's very clever the way they've done it, uh, and it was really kind of fun and engaging to be able to do that to do that part so i thought that was a lot of fun it was a little bit silly uh it brought up a little bit of levity to the game but i think they did again a great job on paper it sounds kind of dumb but actually i think it turned out really good i thought it was it was a lot of fun and that whole again that whole section was really fleshed out for the remake to to really to add more time to the game but none of it has felt like ugh, this is just taking too long this is dumb i actually had a lot of fun doing it i think it was it was great um and the more i played i'll say there have been times where i thought i think they're just artificially pulling some of this stuff out and that's sure that's that's true in some areas but overall i think they've done a great job at expanding a lot of the stuff here and uh keeping the um 
you know, keeping the pace good and really making it feel like Final Fantasy VII was a very important game and they've done such a good job at fleshing this stuff out that as I'm approaching the latter half of it, I, do, I still don't feel like I've wasted my time. And I'm actually happy that they, I, originally I was kind of irritated that they took this approach of doing a multi-part game, but now I'm kind of happy that they're really taking their time to flesh stuff out because it does feel important. It feels really well done. Um, but yeah. At least that's my thought of it. Um, and, and I'll say this, that um, I know there's more stuff coming up. There's more changes that I've yet to experience. I, like, I haven't even seen the ending yet. And I know I've, I've seen, I've heard people talk a lot about the ending, but I've managed to remain spoiler-free all these years as to how that changes based on, you know, what happened in the original game. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where we go from here. Um, and, of course, I've seen the trailers from for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is coming at the end of the month. That one looks amazing, so I'm very excited to get to that. But even before I get there, I'm excited that I still have the rest of Final Fantasy VII Remake to play. Um, so I'll say my thoughts so far. Um, obviously, you can tell I really like this game. I think it's a lot of fun. But I will say the caveat here is that I think the I think if you've never played Final Fantasy VII, the original, before, you're still going to get a lot of excellent gameplay out of this. And you don't need to have played the original. But... But, but, but I will say that the original Final Fantasy VII was incredible. And if you have played it, you're going to get a lot more out of this game, I think, because of that nostalgia factor, right? Like I said, every time I hear those familiar notes of music from uh, Final, the original Final Fantasy VII strike up in here in this modern interpretation, well, it really gets me quite uh, nostalgic about the original release and Honestly, it gets me very emotional hearing it, and it's, it's super exciting. I love this game so much. I think it's so good, uh, and I think part of that is because I love the original so much. So I do believe that you know you get a lot of it. it this plays really good as being a companion piece to the original because as much as I like it so far, and I, I reserve final judgment until I complete it, but I do think that the original game as a complete package is probably a stronger overall package to play the original final fantasy 7 for playstation 1 is probably the best version of that story insofar as what i played so far but having said that this is an amazing companion to that and so far that for the first half ish a little more than half of the game that i played i've been really impressed and i really love seeing this stuff um, drawn out like this so yeah that's my thoughts so far it's a work in progress uh but I will be posting my final episode of uh, Video Game Puck Club on February 26th about Final Fantasy VII Remake, when, at which time I will have completed this one and will be prepping myself up for the upcoming release on February 29th for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. So I'm excited that I'll be able to essentially roll right into the new one. And apparently there's going to be a demo of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth coming out soon too. And if you play it, you'll get some bonus stuff for it. But they did just announce apparently that if you have Final Fantasy VII Remake save data, that when you start up Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, it, it'll unlock a, um, a Leviathan summon materia for you, which will be pretty, pretty awesome to see because the summon materia in this game are quite awesome but yeah if you have any um any thoughts on final fantasy 7 remake uh again i've only played the first half uh, i'd love to hear from you so please reach out to me uh via email with your thoughts so i can read some of your thoughts on uh on the show and we could have more of a conversation about it my email is red roosters gaming coop at gmail.com or you can send me a message on twitter uh my handle is at red rooster gc 
and you can find me there. I'd love to hear from you, hear your thoughts on Final Fantasy VII, whether it was just the original Final Fantasy or the remake, uh, your thoughts and your, and your opinions on how, how did the remake work for you? How did you like it? And since my next episode will be about the full the full game, you can give me full scope of your thoughts on everything you're up to and including the ending. So, so yeah, I hope you guys like this episode. Uh, you know, I've been... I'm actually thinking right now like i'm pretty eager to get back into final fantasy 7 remake tonight to to continue playing um but yeah again let me know what you thought uh please don't hesitate to reach out to me on email or on on x and i hope i hear from you all right well thank you so much for your time today and have yourself a great day bye-bye